went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of my child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with a bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Weaning was done in third world countries as late as possible, usually about ages two to five. So that would make Ishmael somewhere between the ages of 16 and 19. Let's just say, for argument's sake, that Isaac was three when he was weaned. And that would make Ishmael 17. They had a party to celebrate this milestone in Isaac's life. But Ishmael mocked him. And it's a play on his name, laughter. Ishmael laughed at laughter. And Sarah went ballistic. The tension that had been growing there in the home for 17 years was finally at a head. And she told Abraham, get rid of this woman. Now, while we might question her motives, she was right. And God said she was right. Ishmael could no longer be there in the home. He's like the cuckoo bird. He was going to take over the home and the nest. And I'm sure this was the hardest thing Abraham had to do up to this point in his life to remove them. We'll see in the chapter next week the absolute hardest thing Abraham had to do. The last time Abraham obeyed Sarah's voice was to take Hagar as his wife. That was a mistake, but not this time. God reinforced Sarah's plea, and Abraham obeyed God. Early the next morning, he sent them away with supplies. And this is the second time this has happened. Remember when she was pregnant? And she was sent away before and God heard her cries and God said, name the child God hears because I hear you. The second time he hears the boys cry and God rescues them again. It's a picture of how God feels about the poor and single moms. He really does care. And he promises the boy will have a future. Now, Paul picks up on this story in Galatians chapter four. Paul says this story stands for a spiritual truth. He calls it an allegory. Ishmael and Isaac represent a spiritual reality that's going on in this side of each and every one of us. A conflict. I, I think of my life before I was saved. I lived in virtual peace. I was oblivious to my sin. I thought of myself as a fairly good person. Yeah, I had problems. I wasn't perfect, but I was content with my life, even happy. The truth of the matter was I was an idiot living in spiritual darkness. Unbelievers, they see their individual sins and think of them as a mosquito bite. One red dot. Yeah, it's a little bit of a nuisance. It itches a little bit. 
In reality, they have the chicken pox. Soon they're going to have hundreds of red dots all over their body. Why? Because there's a disease there under the surface. They don't of it yet. One sin can reveal this disease. James says in 2.10, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Our sin problem. The Bible calls it the flesh, the old man, the fallen sin nature. Ephesians 4.22, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Romans 8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The Bible says we're born in sin. And then that sin nature eventually manifests itself out in outward behaviors. In the book of Galatians, chapter 5, we read, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so it's the Holy Spirit that who reveals the true self. And we realize I'm a sinner before God and I must repent. And then I'm born again. Jesus said in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We can't go to heaven in that sinful state. We must be born again. And then once born again, I have a new nature, the dead spirit inside of me comes to life and stands up on the inside of me. Listen to Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses,
Okay, let's try again. All right. Let's read John 16, 7 and 8 and verse 13. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Christian has only one difference between himself and herself in the world. And that's the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. That's the only difference. We're not better than them, more moral than them. We just have the Holy Spirit. But there's still a battle within us. Our old nature is still there and raises its ugly head from time to time. Again, when I was first born again, I was elated. I felt so joyful. Old sins just seemed to fall off of me, like swearing was something, like every fourth word was a swear word before. But when I was born again, it just seemed like that just went away. And it was like that for about the first year. But sometime after that, I began to notice temptations were coming my way. And occasionally I would yield to them. And I felt badly because I thought, oh, I thought I had defeated that sin in my life. Why is it popping back up again? Because I have an Isaac inside of me and an Ishmael inside of me. And they're fighting like oil and water. They don't mix. And this old nature can seemingly dominate our lives because it's had years of practice. These old habits of the old man are so entrenched in us. And then when I gave in, I felt miserable and defeated. And if we keep it up, keep on living that way, we become backslidden. I'm going to read Romans 7, 14 and 19 in the message translation. And it says, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself after all. I spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Wow. Can you relate to that? Do you feel like you could have written that as well? I do. I realize soon on that I can't live this Christian life on my own strength. I need help. In Isaiah 64, 6, 
We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. At the end of Romans chapter 7, Paul is lamenting. And I just had read that in the, in the message translation. And, and he almost ends that chapter. In verse 24, he says, Oh, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, there's an interesting practice done some places in the Roman Empire for punishment. And it was done in Tarsus, where Paul was from. A murderer sometimes had his victim's body strapped to his back. Talk about carrying a dead weight around. And that dead guy stayed on your back until he rotted off. Can you imagine the horror of that punishment? The disease and germs that would be leaking into your body? You'd undoubtedly get sick and sometimes died. So Paul knows that fact. It says, I need to be delivered from this body of death. Who will do it? The first part of Romans 7:25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the one who deliver us so we can live through this Christian life, faking everyone out, having a big smile on our face, pretending all is well. But what are we? We're really just a fake, a hypocrite. Maybe we haven't confessed our sins because we're too embarrassed or we feel like a failure or we feel like if I do, God can't possibly love me. He'll reject me. So I hide my sin. What can I do? Now, let's get practical. First thing, choose to obey God's command. Genesis twenty-one twelve. the God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Oswald Chambers writes this. All God's revelations are sealed until they're opened by us by obedience. The tiniest fragment of obedience and heaven opens and the profoundest truths of God are yours right away. God will never reveal more about himself until you have obeyed what you already know. Abraham had a problem in his house. And to get the victory, he had to obey God. He had to put Hagar and Ishmael out. And that, I know, can seem to us as a harsh thing to do, even cruel. But it really was necessary. It's an analogy, Paul says. Stop ignoring. Stop pretending. Stop rationalizing. Stop covering up. Keeping secrets. We have to cast Hagar and Ishmael out of our lives. But why? Letter A. Because that relationship wasn't God's will. It was a mistake. Hagar wasn't evil. She was just a girl raised in Egypt. And when Abraham and Sarah were in Egypt, they took her as a slave and moved her to Canaan and Sarah put her into Abraham's arms. It's not her fault. She just wasn't God's will for him. She was plan B, their plan B, not God's plan A. She was wrong for him. And maybe someone here this morning is in a relationship that you know is wrong. And yet you're staying in it. Let her be because of what that relationship produced. 
Ishmael wasn't evil. I mean, he didn't ask to be born. It wasn't his fault that he was born. But he wasn't God's will for Abraham. He was out of God's will. He was plan B. We say, God, please bless my plan. And he won't. So we bless ourselves. Ishmael represents human effort, trying to please God by our fleshly efforts. And see, because God has a better plan for you. I was a brand new Christian, 19 years old, attending church. And a 25-year-old woman began to pursue me. I don't even know that the, how the pastor knew me. It was a pretty large church. But he came up to me and said, that woman is not God's will for you. I don't know if he knew that prophetically. I don't know if he had seen her moving on other people in the past and was warning me. But he was absolutely right. Abraham wanted God to bless Ishmael and fulfill his plan through him. Listen to Abraham's plea in 17. 18, Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God, why can't it be Ishmael? Why can't things continue just as they are? They can't because it isn't God's will. It isn't his perfect plan. He will not accept your plan B. Someone said, if you do not deal with the mistakes of your past, they will mock the miracles of your future. Number two. Choose to put off the old nature. Ephesians 4.22 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Put off means just that. Toss it aside. Just like you would toss aside dirty clothes. You do not put on clean clothes over dirty clothes, right? You take off the muddy clothes first, toss them aside, then you put on the clean clothes. We have to renounce sin. We have to walk away from it. Why? Because we're dead to it. We're, we're not dead from the ability to sin. We can still sin. We're dead to the have to of sin. I don't have to sin. I'm not a slave to it any longer. I can say no. And each time I do it, it gets easier to say no. And this is not about rule keeping. What I'm sharing with you this morning, it's not about legalism because that doesn't work. Paul says in, in Colossians 2, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh because the flesh is on the inside. Rules. Just show you how bad you really are, how weak you really are. That's all legalism does. It doesn't help you to overcome sin. But if you rely on Christ, he does help you and he will. He'll help you think differently and relate differently and feel differently and commit differently. Get rid of the sin in your life. Cast it out. Number three. Choose to put on the new nature. 
Ephesians 4.24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So I rely on Christ who lives within me. When my old nature arises, I replace it. I do a new behavior. If I'm struggling with my temper and my temper is rising up, I, I don't need to scream. I can stay calm, walk away, quote scripture, pray, call up my accountability partner. See, I have options now and it gets easier over time. Make good choices daily. In fact, moment by moment, as I make good choices daily, what happens is I'm building up my spiritual muscles as you step out in faith, and Oswald Chambers said it, you step out in faith, making that right choice, the Holy Spirit comes in and empowers you. When you make wrong choices day after day, you begin to be worn down. You feel like a failure. You feel defeated. You want to give up. You want to quit and just say, I might as well just go back to the old way of life. I might as well just go back and sin. I encourage you, stay with it. Don't give up. Don't ruin your witness. Genesis 21, 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Isn't that great? That your witness is such that, that the people of this world looking at you would say, God must be with you in all that you do because you live a victorious life. In his book, Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard talks about transformation. He, he calls it living out of the heart. The heart is the control center of the person, the deep inner place where mind, emotions and will intersect. Our hearts have been malformed by sin, so we need to have them reformed by the spirit. And Willard says the spirit does it by them. Vision, intention and means. The vision Phase, according to Willard, is to believe change is both possible and preferable. We know that desire alone isn't enough to produce change or we'd all be fit, punctual and debt free. At some point, we have to desire and decide intentionally to get in shape, be on time and save. Having desired and decided to change, now we need tools and practices to help us get there. That's the means. All right? So vision, intention, means. And they all three work together. I can intend to get in shape, and so I buy a treadmill. That's the means. But if I have no vision to accomplish my goal, I won't stick with it. I can dream I'll be a famous singer on American Idol. And I go on there and I make a fool of myself because I haven't ever taken singing lessons. That's the means. The means are the spiritual disciplines of life. And that's where it gets hard. I could think that's a challenge of Christian living. The study, the solitude, the prayer. Fellow friend Richard Foster has written a tremendous book about spiritual disciplines. If you're interested in this part of what I'm sharing with you today, the means... Foster says the spiritual disciplines are the means that, that the Holy Spirit uses to help change and transform us. Let me close with just one more thought. 
18-year-old young man joins the Marines and puts on the uniform for the first time. Is he a Marine? Yes, he is. Absolutely. Is he a great Marine? Not yet, but he will be. With the training he's going to receive, he will get to the place where he will serve his country faithfully and die for his fellow Marines. And that's true of you, too. You are a new creation in Christ. The Holy Spirit is inside of you, transforming you to be more like Jesus every day. It may not appear to be because you're still a work in progress, right? He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. So don't get discouraged. Hang in there. And if there is an Ishmael in your life this morning that you know there is there and you're dealing with it, cast it out today. Cast it out right now while we come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we ponder this spiritual reality that Paul identified in Galatians 4 and said that this story that we read today illustrates that. We, we know it's true. We know it from our own experience, Lord. We want to be done with that besetting sin that, that's hard and clings to us. And that old man inside that rises up from time to time. Oh, Lord, we want to be done with it. Let us live out of the, our inside out. Christ within the Holy Spirit who is in there that will empower us and help us to be victorious over sin. Help each one of us that are struggling today to have the victory and to walk in triumph. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.